Well, last spring I was given the opportunity to co-lead our Next Steps class with our education ministry leader, uh, April Hankey. And at least once a year, we offer what's called a First Steps class. This is for all new believers, new church members, um, anyone who's been a guest wanting to learn more about who we are as OCC and, and what we believe as a church. Um, we also offer this Next Steps class that's designed to take people a little deeper into God's Word as they continue to grow in their faith. Um, for this class, we work through the book, uh, Gospel-Centered Life. I know many of you have gone through that. It's a wonderful book by Robert Thune and Will Walker. And this class really helps participants have a clearer understanding of what the gospel really is, the good news of Jesus, and how we are called to apply the gospel to every aspect of our daily lives. So when April asked me to help co-lead this class, I was beyond excited. You know, there really is something special about meeting with a group of people for several weeks who want to grow in their faith and then seeing how God transforms lives throughout that process. This is something that I've been able to witness uh, many times over the years, and it really never gets old. Um, honestly, it's the kind of thing that keeps me going. It kind of drives what I do. Well, this class went really well. Um, there was great conversation. There, there was opportunities for people to open up and share more of their lives uh, together. There, there were aha moments when the group grasped important truths about the gospel and then testimonies that were shared that encouraged others uh, to keep their focus on Jesus, especially uh, when life gets hard. So with a group like this, you'd think that I couldn't wait to get together with them every single week, right? Well, that was true for every week but one. I'm going to be honest with you about something this morning because I think many of you will be able to relate to this. Uh, three or four weeks into the class, um, I was scheduled to teach and kind of facilitate the lesson. And I can't remember exactly what was going on that week, but I remember having a really hard time between Sunday and Wednesday. It was the kind of week when I couldn't get focused on prepping next Sunday's message. Uh, my phone was ringing off the hook, and there was just one divine interruption after another. And uh, I call them divine interruptions because it helps me to see interruptions as opportunities and not burdens. I think we're not all great with interruptions, are we? At least I'm not. I remember leaving the office that day, uh, going home, planting myself on the couch, and just not wanting to move for the rest of the night. How many of you have been there before? You get off work, and that's like, you don't want to leave the couch. The motivation to get up, uh, get the kids around, eat dinner, go teach a class, it just wasn't there. I wanted to be alone, and I believed the lie that isolation and laziness was exactly what the doctor ordered. And because we're a family that values consistency and keeping our word, when we say we're going to do something, we, we do it, um, I forced myself that day just to get up, you know, help get the kids around, eat dinner, get out the door, and get to our next steps class. And you know what? After being around an amazing group of people that evening, um, opening God's word together, sharing our lives, praying together, um, I felt rejuvenated. It was the weirdest Thing. I went from being completely exhausted, wanting to be isolated, not wanting to be around anyone, to being completely rejuvenated. It's like my cup was filled up. You know, whether you're a volunteer or a paid staff member, um, ministry can be demanding. 
Um, If you've given yourself to kingdom work, um, then really you've accepted the call to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Now, I wouldn't call that suffering, (laughs) but in some ways we will suffer for the sake of the gospel. And as important as it is for you to use your gifts to serve God, we talk about that all the time, it's also important to find time to rest. Now, as Americans, in the American church, I think we often equate rest with laziness. But rest is not laziness. Um, Rest is something different. Rest, really, according to Scripture, is, is doing the things that fill you up. See, we think about rest, we think about turning the game on, isolating ourselves, laying on the couch, you know, taking down a whole bag of Doritos. (laughs) But that's not really rest, at least not the way God designed us to need rest. See, what I thought I needed was isolation, just being lazy. What I really needed, and God knew this, was to be around God's people, doing the things that didn't feel like work at all. Things like encouraging others, praying together, teaching God's word, and just sharing our lives. God knew this is exactly what I needed if my tank was going to be filled back up again. It's like those times when it's really hard to get out of bed on Sunday morning. Maybe if you have kids, really hard to get the kids uh, together. You know, I've never had a conversation, though, with someone who, who did all of that. They came on Sunday morning. They, they worshiped with their church family. They heard a message from God's word. And then afterwards they say, you know, I really didn't want to come to church this weekend and I wish I would have just stayed home. I've never heard someone say that. And in fact, it's the opposite. You know, people say it was really hard to get motivated to get up and get around today. It was maybe it was challenging to get the kids all together. But you know what? I'm really glad that I did. And I have had time after time after time where that's really part of My story, it's like getting up and getting motivated sometimes is really hard, but when you go and you do the things that God has designed to really give you rest, and it fills you up. You're you're so glad that you did. So our idea of rest and God's idea of rest are often different. All right, so that's, that's kind of an introduction. Today, I'm excited because we're starting a new series that I'm calling Ministry is Messy. Now, you hear a title like that, and your your mind probably goes a million different directions. What in the world are we going to talk about? Well, over the next four weeks, um, we're going to spend our time in Luke chapter 9. This chapter clearly articulates the busy life of Jesus and his disciples. Friends, things were not getting any easier for them at this point. In fact, a large group of religious leaders were now plotting to kill Jesus. All right, so hanging around Jesus all of a sudden wasn't the cool thing to do. It was getting hard. Ministry was getting messy. We're going to read and learn from four stories in this series that remind us about how ministry is messy. Whether you're a new Christian or you've been a Christian for many decades, um, there will be times in your life when you are ready to just throw in the towel, when you're ready to just give up. But it's in those difficult seasons that God promises to sustain you by giving you the tools that you need to be the kingdom worker that he's called you to be. And so this morning, as part of our Ministry is Messy series, we're going to talk about how there's a time to work. Right? There's a time to work. The Bible says work as though you're working for the Lord in whatever it is that you do. There's a time to work, but friends, there's also a time to rest. 
And rest by God's design is often different from how we typically think about and understand rest. So I want to pray for you this morning, and then we're going to dive into Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us together this morning, that we can once again open up uh, your word, the timeless truths that are found in your word. Um, I, I know that there are people here today that have been going 110 miles an hour, and they can't just, they, they can't seem to find real rest. They're trying to pour from an empty cup. Lord, we want to be the people that you've called us to be. And, and, and with that, we need to learn how to value work the way you see work, using our, our gifts to serve you, whatever we do, to work as though we're working for the Lord, but also to value this amazing gift of rest that you've given us. And so help us to walk away today with maybe a, a clearer, um, more scriptural understanding of rest and help us to apply the things that we learn today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 11. 11. Uh, 11 verses, there's a lot packed into this passage. Um, and this is what we read. It says, One day Jesus called together his twelve disciples, and he gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. So don't bring all of the things that you think you'd typically need for a vacation. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but I'm a planner. This would, like, really be difficult for me. <laughs> Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said, so who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. And then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and healed those who were sick. So it had been several months since the twelve had been chosen by Jesus to be apostles. Now, as followers of Jesus, if, if you are in Christ, um, you are a disciple of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself in that way, but God says if you're, if you're a Christian, you are a disciple. Um, you are called to mature in your faith, to grow in your walk with Christ, to be a disciple who in turn makes more disciples. Well, there were only a few men in the New Testament who were chosen by Jesus and set apart as apostles. These were men who were set apart for a specific task uh, during a specific time. These men had been traveling with Jesus as his helpers up until this point, but now they were being sent out in pairs to really practice all the things they had learned. Now, before Jesus sent them out on this solo flight, um, he gave them everything they would need to get the job done. 
And what he gave them might surprise you, and what he told them to leave behind might surprise you even more. So they were given power and authority. Power and authority. They were given power, which was the ability to accomplish the task. In other words, they couldn't do this on their own. They needed God's strength. They needed God's help in their life. They couldn't do it on their own. They were also given authority, which was the God-given right to do it. Now, you have to imagine that the apostles were all over the place in terms of what was going through their minds. You know, they they had witnessed Jesus healing the sick. They'd witnessed Jesus casting out demons. They'd even witnessed Jesus raising the dead. But now, Jesus was telling them to go out and do the same. They were able to heal the sick. They were able to cast out demons, all of these things. But really, the most important thing ministry, and I don't want you to miss this, the most important ministry um, that Jesus gave them, what he was telling them to do, was to go and tell everyone about the kingdom of God, to preach the word. Now that phrase, tell everyone, you know, go out and tell everyone about the kingdom of God, it's best translated um, as the word proclaim, proclaim. I think the best description of what they were to do is kind of like a herald proclaiming a message to the masses on behalf of the king. Now, when you proclaim something, um, do you whisper it? Do you keep it to yourself? Do you tell just a few people? No. When you proclaim something, you don't share it quietly. You joyfully share it in a way that everyone can hear. The apostles were being sent out as heralds of the good news. That's what Jesus was sending them out to be and do. And their ability to heal the sick, to cast out demons, I believe that was a special gift that God gave them for this specific time. And really, it did a number of things. It further authenticated their ministry so that when people witnessed these miracles, um, they would know who had sent them. They would uh, be more apt to listen and truly hear the good news about the kingdom of God. These miracles were also evidence that God was, in fact, the one who was sending them, but he was also the one who was working through them. So today, I believe we test a person's ministry, the authenticity of a person's ministry, by the truth of God's word. In other words, does what they say and do match up with Scripture? There's a lot of people in our world today that will stand up on a stage and will say words and they will say that they're doing that on behalf of God. But friends, we need to test what we hear, everything that we hear against God's word. As followers of Jesus, we are called to test everything that we hear against the word because the Bible is our ultimate source of authority and truth. Amen? So we test the authenticity of someone's ministry by the truth of God's word. When Jesus sent the apostles out on this journey, he told them exactly what to take uh, or what not to take. And really the emphasis here was on urgency. I want you to go out. You're going to go from place to place. If people don't listen, shake the dust off your feet and keep going. All right, so there there was an emphasis on urgency, but there's also an emphasis here on simplicity. And I often think about this passage and this example, and I think far too often we we complicate ministry. Maybe ministry is messy because of us. You know, ministry should be simple. It really should. But we, we, we dilute it and we, we infuse our own opinions and thoughts about what ministry really is. And really, we just should go to Scripture and do what the early church did. 
So when Jesus sent the apostles out, there was an emphasis on urgency and simplicity. We read about this in verses 3 through 5. He says, take nothing for your journey. How many of you would have a hard time if your spouse woke you up one day and said, hey, we're going on a trip, don't bring anything? (laughs) That would be pretty hard. Not even a change of clothes, a toothbrush, deodorant, nothing. Man, that would be rough. (laughs) Don't take a walking stick a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. That's the one that gets me. It says, wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet and leave to show that you've abandoned those people to their fate. He's saying, don't let it phase you. Some people are going to be primed to hear the word and some are going to reject it. Your job is to be faithful. Your job is to be faithful to the gifts, uh, using the gifts that God's given you to be faithful with the ministry that God's given you. A few weeks back, I said that faith must be tested before it can be trusted. I, I think this story is a great example about how God tests our faith before our faith can be trusted. I think that same thing happens today. Instead of taking the things that they would need with them, these men were to completely trust and rely on God. It got me thinking this week that, you know, it's really when we are taken outside of our comfort zone that we grow the most. You think about that in your job, in your relationships, in the way that you serve. Nobody ever grows when they're comfortable. And I do think that far too many churches, ours included, we get comfortable too often. We get comfortable coming and sitting in the same seat on Sunday morning. We get comfortable um, engaging in just, you know, a few things that we do each week. Comfortable, maybe not talking to people when we see them. You know, I've had a challenge uh, this season for some of our older members. I'm, I'm curious for you to think about this, how you're doing with this challenge. That this year, we, we've got a lot of younger families coming, new people coming. And I said a simple challenge is to get outside of your comfort zone and get up and just go have a conversation. Welcome them. Let, let them know that they're welcomed here. And I'm curious how we're doing with that. Because when we're too comfortable, we don't grow. Nothing grows when we're comfortable. We need to be stretched. We need to do some of the things that we'd say, you know, I I typically wouldn't do this. I typically, man, I I think there's many of these apostles who would hear that instruction and think, you want me to do what? You want me to go on this, this journey without you? You want me to tell people now to use words to tell people about the kingdom of God? And by the way, you don't want me to take a, a bag with me, food, money, a change of clothes? Jesus was calling them to a place of of being uncomfortable. We need to be more uncomfortable, I think. It's when we're taken out of our comfort zone that we grow the most. And and I will say this, while God, I don't believe, is calling us to go door-to-door, healing the sick, casting out demons, um, I do believe with all of my heart that he is calling this generation to step out more in faith and trusting him with the details. So when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your parenting, your work, your relationships, are you following and trusting God in faith or are you trying to be the author of your own story? Are you so comfortable that if God actually called you to do something, you wouldn't even hear it? I believe God is looking for people who will step out in faith, who aren't afraid to get their hands a little messy in ministry because friends, ministry is messy. We also find this story in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. 
And I say that if something's repeated, it's important. Matthew's account tells us that when the apostles were sent out in pairs, uh, Jesus, he also left and he ministered to the people in Galilee. And being spread out like this um, caused more people to take notice of what was going on. You know, you're not in one group. You're, you're spread out. More people are going to see and witness what, what's happening. So news about Jesus, news about what they were doing, made it to the highest levels of government, to some of the very worst people imaginable. Um, Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 9, uh, says, When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear so uh, much stories? And he kept trying to see him. So a little context here. Um, Herod Antipas was a son of Herod the Great. He was also the man who had John the Baptist killed. That's on his resume. I'm sure he thought he'd gotten rid of all of these street preachers. So hearing the news about Jesus uh, shocked him. It puzzled him. You know, who, who was this miracle worker that I'm hearing so much about? John the Baptist didn't do any miracles. I don't know if you knew that, but John the Baptist didn't. Uh, but that didn't stop Herod from thinking uh, that, that he may have been raised from the dead. A lot of the Jewish people during this time, they were kind of anticipating that someone like Elijah would come. So that was a possibility as well. When I see this story, you have, you have to wonder if Herod's conscience was convicting him. If that's what really was going on. If his conscience was convicting him because of what he had done to John in the manner that he'd done it. He kept trying to get an audience with Jesus. And I love this because unlike some of the religious celebrities of his day, Jesus didn't go out of his way to spend time with the high and the mighty. In fact, listen to how Jesus described Herod. If you jump over to Luke chapter 13, a great couple of verses, verses 31 and 32. At that time, some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Talk about a mic drop. <laughs> you go tell that fox. You go tell this guy that is in charge of all of this that I'm going to keep doing what I've been called to do. It doesn't matter what the popular opinion says. It doesn't matter what the loudest voices in society say. Jesus said, I'm going to be faithful to my calling. I'm going to be faithful in my walk. Jesus didn't mince words. He wasn't afraid to call people out, especially if those people were leading other people in the wrong direction and hurting others. When Herod and Jesus finally did meet, we see this in Luke chapter 23, uh, you know, the king hoped to see some kind of miracle from him but we see Jesus did nothing and he said nothing. He didn't entertain Herod. He, he didn't plead his case with Herod. He did nothing and he said nothing. Herod, Herod had been turned over to his own hard heart at this point. I think this is a great reminder for all of us about how Jesus always stayed on mission. He was never so busy 
that he couldn't minister to someone in need, but he also never wasted his time arguing with someone back and forth who was just stuck in their ways. And this is such a hard thing to navigate because I think many of you, you have people in your life that you know they're not making decisions that would honor God. They're turning away from their faith. And, and maybe in some ways you feel called to, to, to be there and walk alongside them and kind of help restore them. But I do think after a season, it may be time to wipe the dust off your shoes and keep going. Right? Because if someone has decided in, in their hard heart that they are going to reject Christ, that they're not going to believe I believe the gifts that God's given you, your time might be better used somewhere else. And that may be hard to hear, but friends, that's the example that we see here. And, I, and I'm talking about, you know, maybe season after season after seeing. Don't stop praying for, for that person. Absolutely. But do you see fruit coming from the time that you're spending with them? And if the answer is no, I, I think it may be time to wipe the dust off and keep moving. Jesus was never so busy that he couldn't stop and minister to someone, but he never wasted his time arguing back and forth with someone stuck in their ways. You know, in the church, there's something that we refer to as mission drift, and I think this applies to other organizations as well. It's when a local body of believers, they clearly know what their calling is, they clearly know their purpose, but they allow the worries and the cares of the world, maybe the loudest voices in the organization, to affect them in a way that causes them to drift away from their purpose and their mission. Our mission here at OCC is the Great Commission. It's to make more and better disciples. And this is really fueled by uh, the great commandment to love God and love people. That's our motivation, right? Part of my responsibility as your pastor, part of our elders' responsibility is to make sure that we keep our focus on the mission, right? We want to equip people to use their time, their talents, and their treasures in ways that will help us achieve the mission that God has given us. But it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get distracted because ministry is messy. But God wants us to stay focused on what he's called us to do. You know, sometime down the road, I'd like to talk more about mission drift um, maybe in a future message. I think that's an important topic. Healthy churches don't drift away from their calling. They stay focused, and they say no to the things that would get in the way. I think that's something we need to talk more about. When the apostles uh, met back up with Jesus, um, the Bible tells us they gave him this exciting report about everything that God had done on this, this solo trip. We read about this in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. It says that when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. And then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds, these, these large crowds, followed out where he was going. They followed him. He welcomed them. He taught them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who were sick. So this is Luke's account. Um, they're, they're, when you compare Luke and Matthew and Mark... Um, there's nothing that would contradict each other, um, but Matthew and Mark do give us additional details. And one of the details that Mark's account gives us um, is sandwiched right in between the apostles returning and sharing this, this wonderful news with Jesus. It's sandwiched between that 
And then Jesus continuing to heal all the people who had needs. And I think it's important for us to see this, and it, it really kind of goes to the, the message, the focus of the message today. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32, again, the same story. Um, says the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. They told him all they had done and taught. And then listen to verse 31. You know, if you didn't look at the other accounts, you wouldn't know this happened. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place. And what's the word? And rest a while. And rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat to a quiet place where they could be alone. And then if you want to look at chronologically the timeline, then you could say the crowds found out where he was going. They followed him. Uh, he welcomed them, taught them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who were sick. But guess what happened before all of that? Rest. Rest. The crowds were growing in size, but before they could meet the needs of the masses, Jesus and the apostles first needed to find time to rest. So there's a time to work. There's a time to rest. It was 20th century preacher Vance Havner who once said that if we don't come apart and rest, we'll just come apart. The apostles' mission of healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching about the kingdom of God, this would have been very demanding. It would have been messy. They needed time to rest and to get filled up before they could be sent back out. And for them, don't miss this, rest wasn't being completely alone, laying on the couch, taking down a bag of Doritos and isolating yourself. I don't think they had Doritos then, but, you know, the first century equivalent. For them, rest was spending time with Jesus. It was sharing stories together about everything God had done and, and, and just spending time together. It was being with God's people. And this is a great example for us today for, for busy, often overworked volunteers in the church. If you don't find time to rest, doing the things that fill you up, you might find yourself on the other end of burnout with nothing left to give. I'll say it again, you cannot pour from an empty cup. I had the privilege of um, participating with um, Sharia. Uh, now her last name is Strike. That's going to get, that's weird. She's always going to be Sharia sick of me. But we had the privilege of participating with her wedding yesterday. And um, I'm not an off-the-cuff kind of person, but we were doing kind of toasts and stuff. And I, and I just thought, there's something I need to say that's on my heart, because you look at, at Sherea, she's not here today, so I'm just going to talk about her. But, um, you know, when we moved here, um, she was serving in like nine or ten different ministries in the church. Um, she, out of every church we've been at, all the people that we've known, she is at the top of the list when it comes to someone that just has a servant's heart. You know, the passage came to mind that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we are to follow the example of Jesus, absolutely. But there had come a point in her life, and she was vocalizing this, that it was just too much. She was trying to pour from an empty cup. You know, and, and she had told me one time that over the course of the years since she was a kid, she has served in every ministry in the church, I think, but one. And that's the uh, property finance team. <laughs> Every ministry but one. Are you, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, try everything out. See if it sticks. Absolutely. It's like throwing darts at a dartboard. 
But she was doing so much that she was just burnt out. And she needed someone to come alongside her and give her permission to say, you need to step back a little bit. I think this is a a two-sided coin because I think there are those of you that you are just going and going and going and you are serving in, um, you know, 10 different ministries, five different ministries. You're feeling burnt out and you just need permission for someone to say, you need to rest a little bit. You need to take a step back. And let me be that person to give you permission to do that. But I think there are also others in the room that maybe aren't using the gifts that God has given them. You know, Sunday morning is what you think about when you think about church. But God's saying, no, I've gifted you and I've positioned you to be able to be a kingdom worker for me, to be an effective witness for me. And you need to be thinking about ways that you can get plugged in and you can serve God with the gifts that he's given you. Maybe you have too much rest. My wife says a body in motion stays in motion. Maybe you have a body at rest that is staying at rest, but not the right kind of rest. You can't pour from an empty cup. Again, we want to view rest how God views it. It's not laziness. It's, it's doing the things that fill you up. And so today, as I begin to wrap up the message, I want to give you some practical tools um, that you can add to your tool belt. You can take with you and, and put these things to work. Uh, I think these things will help you experience the right kind of rest. So whether it's, it's a busy work schedule, um, endless housework, maybe you're in a season that it just feels like you're going and going. It's serving on a ministry here at church. I think this will encourage all of us to think about and prioritize rest more in our lives. Because, friends, the the same God-given gifts that make you effective at whatever it is that God has called you to do is often the fatal flaw that can burn you out if you're not careful. God has created us with a need for rest. So here are four suggestions this morning. We'll go through these very quickly for developing a biblical view of rest So help you serve God better, serve your family better, and serve your church family better. Uh, Number one, we look to the example of what we just read. Seek God's presence. Seek God's presence. Um, Like the apostles, you know, after a demanding week of ministry, um, we need to regularly be with Jesus. There's no other way to put it. So developing consistent rhythms and habits For when you read God's word, when you pray, when you worship and gather with your church family, that is so important. And we have three member expectations here at OCC. And when you think expectations, you think something negative. These are all very positive things that we think will help people grow. It's prioritizing worship on Sunday morning. It's being involved in a ministry, serving God with the gifts he's given you. And it's being a part of a small group. Because this right here um, is a monologue. You need to be in a dialogue with other believers. And so those three things are are part of our ministry expectations, member expectations. Well, one of those is, you know, prioritizing worship each week. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, we have an opportunity to breathe. We have an opportunity to get encouraged and filled back up, maybe challenged with some things. I hope that you experience all of that every week. But that's so important. Seek God's presence. Number two, um, take time off. Take time off, and, and maybe you need someone to give you permission to do that. You know, whether it's from work or, or serving on a ministry team, it's important to take time off. Now, for our family, a Friday is our guarded day. Um, we don't literally turn our phones off, but figuratively we do. It's a time for us to spend intentional time with our kids, to work on our marriage, do things that just fill us up. 
I would say today, if you have unused vacation time at work, use it. Use it. One of the policies we have here on staff, if you work here for the church, is vacation days don't roll over into the next year. And that's because we want our staff to use their vacation time. We want them to actually get away, all right, and, and, and get a break. We need that. That's what it's there for. So time, time is one thing that we will never get back. So take some time off. Uh, number three, and this is so practical but so important, uh, men specifically, we have a hard time with this one. You ready? Get input from others. Get input from others. I heard a couple laughs because it's true. Men, we are not good about this. It's like you're on a trip. The last thing you want to do is pull over and ask for directions. But th- this, is, this is life is a journey. <laughs> you got to ask for directions. Regularly ask your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your church family. Ask them about how you're doing with rest. You know, these are the areas in your life that you may, uh, that, that, that they may be able to recognize, but you're not able to see. I say that because we don't always see ourselves as we really are. We don't always see ourselves as we really are. You may desperately need a season of rest, but you're unable to recognize that because you're so busy just on the go. But other people around you, they can help you see that. And that goes for anything in our lives. You know, this Christian walk was never meant to be done um, solo. It was never meant to be done in isolation. We need each other. And then finally, number four, remember the example of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but if if not, I'll be the first to say it. Um, Being tired is not sinful. It's not a sin to be tired. Not a sin to be tired. Even Jesus got tired. He had to pull away from the crowds, pull away from the things that he was doing so that he could spend time with his heavenly father, do the things that filled him up. He pulled away from the crowds to eat, to to pray, to spend time with his friends. Jesus was perfect, yet he still needed rest, and that should tell us something. So at the end of the day, the only person who truly knows what's going on in your life is you. And the Lord, but, there is a but, the people God has put in your life, the people God has put around you, they can help you see the indicator lights on the dashboard that are starting to light up. Jesus invites us to come to him when we are weary and carry heavy burdens. He promises to give us, what's the word? Rest. So don't pass on our Savior's offer. Take a break. Spend time in God's presence. Trust that he will give you exactly what you need in the portion that you need it. There's a time to work, and there's a time to rest.